Well, welcome again. I'm glad you guys are here tonight. This is actually probably one of my favorite services that we do all year. Like, I love Christmas. I love Christmas Eve. But this is just a time to really just pay attention to what's going on, to, to kind of prepare everything. Because this is the week that changes everything. For all of creation, for all of us, for all of eternity, it changes everything. This is the week. And, and, and so often I just feel like we kind of gloss it over. Like we just kind of run through it and, and we get through it. It's either a checklist or like, okay, another Easter, great, we're done. Now let's make plans and what are we doing for summer and vacation and everything. And, and I, I love that um, you have taken the time and um, just to pause tonight. As we continue to kind of look at this journey, um, th- that did e- did change everything. So tonight, um, yeah, we're going to talk about the cross. We we're going to talk about the cross, and we're going to take a deep, hard look at the cross. And that may be uncomfortable for some. And and I promise you, I'm not going to gross you out. I'm not showing videos, and I'm not, because there are no words or pictures that can really describe and really just ascertain exactly what happened. On, on that Friday, but if you do have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 19, and as always and forever, these are the only words that matter. I, I am just, I am humbled that I get a chance week after week to stand up in front of you and hold these words up and speak um, these words, and so with me, um, out of acknowledgement of these words, would you just stand with me as we read um, in John chapter 19, starting at verse 28. Just a short passage. John writes this. He says, And after this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. And a jar full of sour wine was sitting there. So he fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you for this morning, or this evening. God, I thank you for this opportunity just to stop and pause with all the craziness in our world and all the things that are going on in our own lives, Father, that we could just pause for just a few moments and remember to look upon the cross, to look upon your sacrifice. God, I pray tonight for imagination. God, for, for eyes that can see how deep your love is, for hearts that can just feel and experience how deep your love is, and for lives and the courage to live that way out when we leave this building. God, there are no words that I could possibly say to describe your sacrifice. And so, God, I pray that these are your words, not mine pray you would just move, that you would just encourage us, change us, and do a work that only you could get the glory for. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, we are basically talking about death tonight. And, and it's not an easy topic to discuss. I mean, it's it's uncomfortable to discuss. Uh, unfortunately, as a pastor, I don't know how many funerals, you know, I, I've been a part of. Um, 
from my very first funeral, I remember we were in Colorado, a young man that was in our youth group. Um, we were getting ready to leave to go overseas to be missionaries, um, and he was in a tragic car accident and having to deal with the parents and deal with the family. And for the first time to speak, try to speak hope into like a hopeless and terrible situation. And over the years, I've gone, I've sat with people, and, and, I, and I've um, had to deal with that pain, things that, you know, expected. You know, we knew that they were sick and unexpected going on. There was one day I had a student call me and says, my grandmother passed away. We don't know anybody else. Will you do the service? And I'm like, okay, I'll go do the service. And then my mom calls me and says, hey, this other lady died. Can you come by and help do the service? I had two funerals in one day. I literally drove from Claremont down to uh, Plant City and did two funerals in one day. And so we, we don't like death. We know that it's a natural part, and the reason we don't like it is because it really isn't a natural part. I just want you to understand that death was never part of the bargain when God created us. That's on us. That, that's on us saying, God, I'd rather do it my way, and, and that's responsible. But what death does, to, it reminds us of what's important. On this past, past year, we, we've had funerals in, in our family over the years and stuff. I remember sitting with my father in the last year of his life and just thinking about what's important and stuff. And that's what, that's what death does for us. It makes us think. And so that's what really tonight is about. It's to make us really think. What was this cost and, and what was going on? Because the truth is this great tension at looking at the cross. We sing these songs like the old, I'll cherish the old rugged cross. It's one of my favorite hymns of all time. I was really pushing for it. I'm like, yeah, put that one in. And it was great. I love that old hymn. And we, we sing about the cross. We call it wonderful and we call it beautiful. When the actual fact is, is the cross was an instrument of execution. It was the most horrible, gruesome way to die. And yet we hug it and we hold it and we look at it. And so often we come to the cross and we look at it. We come in shame. And we come with our heads down. And tonight, I want to I challenge us to have our heads held high. To look full on it and to see all that it means and all that it's done for us. And, and everything that is for me. I mean, Paul, Paul put it this way. In Galatians 6.14, he says this. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. I, I love that Paul says, I will boast about this. He, he's called us to, to look up, to take time to actually look at the cross, to have, have our confidence in the cross only and nothing else. That's what Paul's saying. He says, I won't boast in anything else, not, not my abilities, not my pedigree, nothing. I will only boast in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that word boast literally means to hold your head high in the Greek. We live in a heads down society. Have you noticed that? How many of you have walked around and seen this? I literally almost get run over every single day at Universal Studios because I'm just, I'm standing there in a security uniform. I was at Grad Bash. They gave me this ugly, yellow, bright, fluorescent, glow-in-the-dark shirt, and I'm standing there, and I had 20 different high schoolers come up and boom. 
boom, because we live in a heads down society. I challenge you this week just to go around and look. Go to Walmart. Just look at If you see them driving that way, get off the road because they're still doing it. But we live in a heads down society. It's funny. Do you know what happens when you actually sit like this? It puts all the pressure on, like, your nervous system. In fact, part of your nervous system, like, can shut down. And I say the best thing you can do is to lift your head. Like, if you have stress and stuff, if you work on computers and stuff and you're down like this, the best thing you can do is lift lift your head because what it does is it realigns. Good posture is healthy for you. We don't teach that anymore. Remember these days when, like, mom made you, like, walk around with a book on your head? I'm really (laughs) aging myself. You know, I don't know how many times I heard, stand up straight, boy. Yes, ma'am. But good posture is good because what it does is it realigns us. And as we look at the cross tonight and we take time, we get a chance to realign our lives. Because when we walk around with our heads down, everything is all bent out of shape and out of whack. See, see, it is all about the cross. And when we look up, there are things we're going to see. And I want you to see this tonight. In John 1.29, John the Baptist said this as he saw Jesus coming. He says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is before Jesus started anything. This is before Jesus had any ministry going on. This was at that baptism. And, and right there, John's saying, Behold, the Lamb. When we look at the cross, we behold the Lamb. And all behold means is to look upon. It means to, it means to actually experience. It, it, it means to, like, to, to intent. That's what John's saying. It's like, look up. Behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb born to be the sacrifice, the only sacrifice, the final sacrifice. Talking to all the Jews, they knew exactly what he was saying when he said, Behold the Lamb, because they understood that every year they had to get a lamb sacrificed, and hopefully they lasted till the next year they could do it again. But as we read in the beginning, when Jesus died, it was the final sacrifice. That's why he says, It is finished. Tetelestoi is paid in full. We look upon the Lamb born to be sacrificed. We look upon the one who ate with sinners, who welcomed outsiders, and called children to come and sit on his lap. We behold the Lamb that healed and calmed storms. We behold the Lamb when we look up at the cross. Pilate echoed this. You know that? Pilate echoed this call. He said in John 19.5, So when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said, Behold the man. Behold the man. Take your eyes from looking down. Take your eyes from looking at everything else and behold this man that was betrayed. Ever been betrayed? Jesus was by one of his closest friends. Behold the man that was abandoned by all his friends. They all ran and fled. Behold the man that was beaten until the soldiers got tired. I know there's like a church tradition that says, well, they beat him one last short of actually dying because of Roman law. By the way, there's no Roman law that says that. They beat Jesus until they couldn't lift their arms anymore. It it wasn't about like, okay, well, we don't want to. They wanted to kill him. 
But we behold this man that was beaten. And when he comes back before Pilate, Pilate looks at him and pronounces him not guilty. He's like, behold the man, look. He's been beaten. He's got this crown of thorns shoved on his head. We have, we have chastised him. We've done all this. And yet still pronounced not guilty. Uh, the entire crowd called out still to crucify him. Crucify him. Tonight I challenge you to behold the man that bore all of that for us. The truth is, is we can't physically see him. You can go home, you can watch The Passion, you can go watch movies and stuff like that, and none of them are going to come close. There's no way we can describe or put in words, and, and, and I don't want to. I don't want to put up pictures and, and stuff. I, I don't think we have to because I, I think we can see him. We, we can still look upon him in, in kind of our mind's eye, in our own imagination. We can understand this is what he went through. We can't physically see him, but we can still look on him. That's why, that's why in 1 Peter, Peter talked about this in verses 8 and 9. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see what he says? Though you have not seen him, though you're not seeing him, you can believe, you can love him, you can still look upon him and receive this. And there's an interesting little phrase in the middle of that passage that for me doesn't make sense and maybe for you doesn't make sense for Good Friday. You believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. How on this day can we look on with joy? How can you, how can you look at the cross and be joyful? because the cross is for you and it's for me we can be joyful because we know that there was someone perfect enough to take our penalty to take our judgment to take pay the price that we couldn't pay we can look on for joy because this god who loved us so much sent his son and guess what he only had one motivation for doing that it wasn't for fame it wasn't so he got written about it wasn't so he could run. there was only one motivation for christ to come to the cross and in first peter 1 18 and 19 it says this he says for for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your fathers not with perishable things like silver or gold but with the precious blood of christ like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb we were redeemed that was his motivation that's the whole reason he was born that's the whole reason everything that he taught everything that he did every step he took was leading to this point from the fall of man god had put a plan in place going back and back and going on and on all to this point for the one purpose for us to be redeemed we can hold our heads up. We can look upon the cross because this was our penalty. This was our price that Christ took upon himself. 
We know that, look, we can look upon him because he looked upon us in our need. Look what it says in John, 1 John 3, 16. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We were so completely and utterly loved that Jesus went through this. And if you were the only person on the planet, if you were the guy with the hammer and with the nails, he still would have done it. We can have joy as we look at the cross. Because it is finished. It is paid for. It is is taken care of. And as we look on it, and we look at the man, and we behold the lamb, and we look on it with joy, we behold his journey. Think about this for a minute. And again, like I said, I'm, I'm not trying to gross you out, but here's, here's this man that was beaten and abused, given his own cross to carry. Today, that would be in the same sense of us going to some prison that someone is going to execution and say, okay, by the way, you have to carry the electric chair for you. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> all the thoughts going? And when it became so heavy and when he couldn't carry it anymore just from the dehydration, the, be- the beating, they grabbed someone out of the crowd and forced them to do it. They took him down the way of suffering. It's called the Via Dolorosa. If you've never been there, and, and I have not my wife has, if you've never been to um, Jerusalem, Via Della Rosa is this little street, and it is filled with shops and, and vendors. And if you know the story, and you've heard this enough time, you understand what's going on at this time in Jerusalem. It's Passover. It is when the lamb, when God passes over the remembrance of their redemption from Egypt, what, what a perfect symbol and picture that God planned all this and said, here is the perfect lamb. That would be the Passover lamb, the one that would redeem us all. But because it's Passover, Jerusalem is packed. In fact, it, most scholars think that Jerusalem at this time was about 400 times more in capacity. There were so many people crammed in the streets, crammed in the shop, all sitting here watching this. See, because it wasn't just about a crucifixion. This was about humiliation. See, the religious leaders and the Romans, they want to set an example. They said, we're going to do this now. We want everyone to see this is what happens when you dissent. When This is what happens when you stand up against us. And so it wasn't just about the beatings and all that. It was about humiliation for him. And so he walks through the street, people spitting on him, laughing, pulling his beard, whatever you can imagine going on, dragging his own means of execution through these streets. And then we get to the cross. It says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. 1 Peter 2.24, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so as we behold the lamb and we behold the cross and we behold the man, we have to behold the cross. 
we have to stop. <coughs> we have to look at it. Heads held high. We look at the instrument of our salvation. We look at the instrument of our redemption. We look at the price of what our sin caused. The cross, the moment that those nails were pounded into his flesh, our sins were canceled. I mean, this sounds a little morbid a little bit, but it's almost like the ka-ching of a cash register. Ching, paid in full. Ching, paid in full. Every hammer. Every whack. Our sins paid in full. It, it's, a, it's a beautiful mystery. How streams of blood could cover my sin. How someone else's sacrifice could pay for my penalty. And I don't think we will ever in all of eternity fully understand that kind of love. I don't think we'll ever comprehend the depth of that sacrifice. Even, even the father had to turn his head from the sin. And when Jesus cried out, as we read in John, it is finished and breathed his last, Jesus died alone. Do you know that? The one who never knew separation for all eternity, never knew separation, Perfect communion, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, perfect communion, for the first time in all eternity, knew what it meant to be alone. And so we look at the cross and we look at the man and we look at the suffering. Because when we do, when we look at his suffering, it creates an overwhelming sense of gratitude from us. It was an overwhelming sense of humility. And if it doesn't, then you and I are not looking at the same cross. We understand how much it cost him. How can we not be grateful? How can we not be humbled by that much love? The Old Testament prophets told us in Jeremiah 9.23, it says, This is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. We have nothing to brag about. We have nothing to boast about except one thing, the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the only thing worth boasting about. At Easter and every other day of the year, it's the only thing worth boasting about. And so tonight, I challenge you, I encourage you to hold your head high. Determined to know nothing else but Jesus and him crucified. Determined that's the one thing. That is the thing that will mark me. That is the thing that will define me. That is the thing that will motivate me. That is the thing that will direct me. Nothing else will I know except Jesus and him crucified. That's what I know. That's what changed me. And as we do that, we get to hear these things. When you hold your head high and do that, we hear the declaration that you are forgiven. That I am forgiven. 
that there is no more sin, there is no more, there is no enmity with God, that, that that chasm that was built by our sin and our disobedience has gone, and we are forgiven, slate clean. When we hold our head high, we hear the declaration that it bears every sorrow, every grief, every pain is bared on that cross. It is all taken away. When we hold our hell high, it removes our guilt, our shame, our penalty. When we look upon the cross, we remember tonight that not only is the cross empty, but so is the tomb. There's no one hanging on a cross anymore. There's no need for someone to hang on a cross anymore. And that tomb is empty. We get to celebrate that tonight. We get to celebrate that on Easter. We get to celebrate that every single day. Not just because it's a holiday, not just because that's our focus on this time of year, but every single day we look up, we hold our heads up, and we know that, man, I am forgiven, I am redeemed, I am saved, I am transformed. My penalty, everything is gone. All the guilt, all the pain, all the sorrow, everything has been taken upon that cross. And I will boast in nothing else other than that cross. We can declare as Paul declared in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved him, who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you declare that tonight? With all your heart. With all your strength, with all your strength, can you declare that I have been crucified with Christ and it's not about me anymore? It's not about my plans. It's not about my future. It's not about my job. It's not about my pension. It's not about my status. It's not about my Facebook friends. It's not about any of that stuff. It is about that I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me because he died for me and he rose again. And I can declare that with confidence because I can look upon the cross and boast about the love of my God. And the finality of that one act. I love it. I love it. Matthew Henry. The great theologian. First commentaries I ever owned was Matthew Henry. Still my favorite. He says, come and see the victories of the cross. Christ's wounds are thy healings. His agonies thy repose, his conflicts thy conquest, his groans thy songs, his pains thy ease, his shame thy glory, his death thy life, his suffering thy salvation. Come and see the victories of the cross. This is why we can face whatever the world throws at us. This is why the news channels don't scare me. Political views don't scare me. Supreme courts don't scare me. Rumors of wars don't scare me. Despots and dictators and 
terrorists don't scare me because I have victory in the cross. And no matter what they do to me or what they do to this planet, we won because of the cross. It doesn't matter if they say, well, churches are closing, churches are dying, and, and we, there is no, not going to be any more churches. And none of that matters because we have won because of the victory of the cross. Listen to that again. Come and see the victories of the cross. Christ's wounds are your healings. His agonies, your repose. His conflicts, your conquest. His groans, your songs. His pains, your ease. His shame, your glory. His death, your life. His sufferings, your salvation. What better reason to celebrate and hold our heads up? It's the cross. It's always been the cross. It changed everything for us. <coughs> and the best news of all tonight is that it didn't end there. When Jesus said, it's finished, it's all paid, it's done, the stamp of approval shows up on Easter morning. When that stone is rolled away, that tomb is empty, and he says, by the way, I'm coming back. And what started here will be finished everywhere. Don't walk around. There are people walking around today that are thinking about all the things that they've done wrong, all the things. There are people that aren't going to show up to church on Sunday because they're like, well, I can never be good enough. It's I'm, there's so many things. The cross took care of all of it. the reason to smile it's the reason we call today good friday the greatest understatement in all of history because how can it only just be good it is a great day and the greater day is coming on sunday morning i hope that you will spend the next day or so with your head held up. That you will look upon the cross. That you'll look upon Jesus. That you'll remember what he did for us. And that you will boast in him and him alone. Let's pray.